So in order to start my message, I want to take you guys back a little while ago, back in the life of AJ. And so I'm going to take you back about four or five years ago. Uh, and so back in the day, I had just gotten out of these two relationships after high school. Then there was like this really long time, not really long time, but like a year or so of just dryness. I, I wasn't in any relationship. There was no interest. Until one day, I had posted on my Instagram story and then this girl slid into my DMs. Now, for those of you who do not know, slid into my DMs is just like this terminology that young people use for, they just private messaged you on, on Instagram. And so this girl, she sends me a private message, and I don't normally do DMs or stuff like that, because I'm just like, I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with this. This, is, this has like a bad connotation to it. So I, I generally don't touch it, but this time, for some reason, I decided to reply to her. I don't know what got into me. I was crazy. Maybe I was getting a little bit, uh, you know, just stir-crazy from maybe being lonely a little while from not being in a relationship, but I reply to her, and I'm like, I'm just going to leave it at this one message. I'm not going to let it be anything more than one message, and she replies back, and it's about the Lord and everything. I'm like, ah, she's got me hooked now. I can't, I can't not reply to this. She's got me hooked, and so I keep replying. I keep replying. I keep replying, and next thing you know, we're just talking about life, and everything's going well, and I, we keep replying, and the conversation is good, and I'm thinking that I'm starting to like this girl, but I've got an issue. Because of my past experiences with relationships where I just like meet a girl, and I, I like her, and then I don't take it slow. I like, I like her, and then I go after her pretty much immediately. I told myself, I was like, all right, AJ, we are taking it slow this time. I was like, we are not going too fast. We are not going to rush into this. We are going to evaluate well. I'm not going to make this mistake again. So the very next day, I asked her out on a date, and, uh, which is not taking it slow at all. And uh, so I, I asked her on a date, and she happily obliged. And later that weekend, we decided to go to Dwell, and, which is a coffee place here in Burleson. And so I go to Dwell, and I meet her there. And the conversation is OK. It's not the most exciting conversation we've ever had, in, you know, I've ever had uh, on a first date or anything like that. And so we have the conversation. We drink our coffees. We're probably in there for about an hour or so. And then we decide to head out. And she's like, hey, do you want to come to my car and, and talk in the car? And I was like, sure, why not? Let's go ahead and, and go and, and talk in her car for a little while longer. And so the conversation is good again. It's just, it's going all right. And then all of a sudden, she decides to hit me with something. And I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it, but she decides to hit me with a DTR. Now, for those of you guys who don't know what the DTR is, the DTR is the define the relationship moment on the first date. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, Holy smokes, how do I respond to this? How do I reply to this girl? Because this is the first date. This is uncharted territory for me. I thought we were just friends going to get some coffee and stuff like this. And, and she's already asking me what we are. And I'm like, ah, this is going to be awkward and weird. And this is going to be messy and gross. And I don't really know how to, to reply to her when it comes to this. And, and so I'm sitting there. And I'm like, OK, how in the world do I reply to this? And I just said, listen, sorry. We, we're just, we just got to be friends. Like, this is, you asked way too soon. This is just way too raw. I don't, I don't know how to do it. And I was like, we can still talk and stuff like that, and we, we can still be friends. And how many of you guys know when you say that, you don't ever end up talking really that much after that? And so I, I, I had friend-zoned her, but, like, we didn't really talk much after that at all because it was just so awkward. It was one of those moments that you can't really recover from, you know? I felt bad for her because, she, I, I mean, I understood her intentions, and, uh, but it just was way too soon. So 
You're probably wondering why I'm talking about DTR and defining the relationship and, and why I mentioned this girl in this story. And the reason why is because I think that sometimes uh, we need to have a DTR when it comes to Jesus. We need to define our relationship when it comes to Jesus. And in dating, there, there is a time whenever there, it's necessary for us to define the relationship. Because here's what the defining the relationship does for us. It helps us to clarify our commitment level. Now with that girl, I, I was not ready to commit to her. I was not ready to be devoted to her. I wanted to keep it convenient. I wanted to keep it casual with her because I had only known her for just a week or so. And we, we were on our first date and she was like, boom, what, you know, what, are, what are we? And I'm like, not about that. But when it comes to Jesus, we need to ask ourselves many of the time, am I committed to him? Am I fully devoted to him? Because I think if we don't ask ourselves this question, we fall into casual and convenient Christianity rather than fully committed and all out on fire for Jesus Christianity. And so, now in order to successfully have this conversation about the DTR, defining the, the relationship with Jesus, um, we need to ask ourselves, are we a fan or are we a follower of Jesus? And what I mean by that is this is how I want to frame this defining the relationship because we'll either fall into two categories. We'll either fall into being a fan of him, which is, which is not a good thing, by the way. We'll get into why that's not a good thing here later in the message. Or are we a follower of Jesus, which is what Jesus tells us that we need to be. And so if you're taking notes today, the title of my message is just simply not a fan. So in order to help us understand why being a fan is a bad thing and why being a follower is a good thing, we need to define both terms, both the fan and the follower. So we're going to start with the fan terminology. A fan can be defined as someone who is an enthusiastic admirer or someone who strongly likes, appreciates, supports, or is interested in someone or something. So for example, we have any Cowboys fans in the room tonight? Oh my goodness, we live in Burleson, Texas, and there are very few Cowboys fans in here. You know it's rough for Cowboys Nation right now. Curtis is over here embarrassed, raising his hand like this for the Cowboys. I understand, it's been, a, it's been a while since the Cowboys have been good. You guys are enthusiastic admirers of the Cowboys. Y'all aren't necessarily followers in the sense, but you guys watch the television. You guys could probably keep up and, and know about what the Cowboys are doing, what their record is, who their players are, like Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, those guys. You probably have a, a knowledge of who the Cowboys are, but there's a difference between being a fan and being a follower in that sense. For those of you who don't know, y'all can boo me if you want. I'm a Patriots fan in here, um, and so... Talk to the six rings, that's all I'm going to say about it. We may have cheated our way to them, but uh, just talk to the six rings. Anyways, and so I am an enthusiastic admirer. I strongly, strongly like the Patriots. Strongly like the Patriots. But there's a difference between strongly liking and loving. And I think that that's where the line is drawn between being a fan and a follower a lot of times. We, if we start putting Jesus in the category of the New England Patriots and the Dallas Cowboys, we have an issue. And so many of us do this where we are a fan of Jesus rather than being a follower of him when Jesus calls us to be a follower. A fan is someone who typically sits in the stands when their team's season is going well, but as soon as things start to go bad, they leave the stands. And isn't this the way we treat life with Jesus sometimes? Life is going good. Seasons are going well. We love Jesus. We're on fire for him. Nothing is better. And then all of a sudden, things get a little bad. 
Where's Jesus? Why, what, what's, why isn't Jesus doing anything for me? And we, we have this, this idea that, of Jesus that is, okay, we only love him when he's doing things for us. We only love him when he's doing good. The same way we have this ideology, we're more of a fan of a football team when they're doing really well, if we're being honest. I mean, when the, the Patriots have been bad the last two years, and it's just been rough for me because I'm used to winning all the time. And so I, I understand this now because I haven't been necessarily as big of a fan. And so we apply the same knowledge and, and, and ideology to Jesus, and that's not okay. We need to be followers of Jesus and not fans. I did this a few years ago. Uh, I don't know if you guys watched the Super Bowl or anything like that. It's the most watched televised thing in, in uh, the United States. And so a few years ago... The Patriots were playing the Falcons in the Super Bowl. And I don't know if you guys remember how the first half started, but let's just say we went down 28 to 3. And uh, I, was at a, I was at a party with some friends. It was a Super Bowl party. And I left because I was embarrassed. And all my friends hate on me because I'm a Patriots fan and stuff like that. And I'm like, I'm getting out of here. We're down 28-3. I'm going to HEB, and I'm just going to walk around in HEB. I, I don't know why I did that, but that's what I did. All of a sudden... We, I start getting these notifications on my phone, and it's like, touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to get back home as soon as possible because the Patriots are making a comeback. And so when things got good again, I went home, and I started watching them uh, on the TV again. And like I said, it's the same way. With Jesus, we act the same way that I acted with that football game. When it's good, we stay. When it's bad, we start to leave, and we start to, to have unbelief that comes in. And, and so we, let's not let that, ter- that, I, that those, that excuse me, that line of thinking infects what we're doing uh, in, our, in regards to our relationship with Jesus. So, you know, we've defined what a fan is. It's an enthusiastic admirer. It's somebody who really, really likes something or is very interested in something, like a football team or a celebrity or stuff like that. So now I want us to define what a follower is. And this is where I really want to hone in. And I really want to have you guys understand what I'm trying to say with this. So, now that we define what a fan is, Jesus defines what a follower is in Luke 9, verse 23, which says this. Jesus says, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. So here in this verse, we see Jesus define what a follower is for us. He lays it out quite clearly. He says, if you want to be my follower, you have to pick up your cross daily, not weekly, not monthly, not yearly, daily, and and follow me. Following Jesus, being a follower and not a fan is something that we do every single day. A follower is someone who follows his will for their lives. They follow his commands. They, they obey the, the commands without any hesitation. They obey his commands without even having a second thought about it. They do the hard things that the Lord sometimes tells us to do. You know those times when God tells you to go talk to that person about Jesus, and you're like, oh, I don't really want to do this because this could be really awkward. People who are followers of Jesus are going to do that no matter how uncomfortable it may make them feel, no matter what it may entail, because Followers pick up their cross daily. They deny themselves. When you're uncomfortable, that's your flesh trying to come out, trying to keep you from doing that. You have to deny that part of your body and be led by the Spirit and go speak to that person. That's what a follower does. Fans do the bare minimum and keep their relationship with Christ casual. Uh, I don't know if you've been coming here for a long time, but if you know Pastor Mark, he does not do casual Christianity. 
Not, not one bit. He is very serious about being a disciple of Jesus. In fact, that's in our, in our vision. We are, we are attempting to make strong disciples by reaching this generation. And so we are called to be disciples, otherwise known as followers of Jesus. A lot of times when we look at Jesus in our relationship, we say, you know, we're just looking for a little bit of a, of a touch-up when God wants to give us a full makeover. That's new life, y'all. New life is an entire makeover. It's not Jesus just getting into a few spaces in your life. No, he's getting into every area. He's infecting every aspect of your life. A lot of people come to church and they just go to church and then they go back out into the world and they don't live lives like they follow Jesus. That's a fan of Jesus. Because they come in here, the stands, and they, they cheer on Jesus for an hour or so every Sunday and then they go back into the world and guess what they do? They dishonor him, they dishonor themselves, and they don't follow his commands. So tonight, what I want to help us to do is I want us to realize just a couple of the difference, differences between what a fan is and what a follower is. So in order to make it easier for y'all, I've got three points uh, that will help us to do that tonight. Are you guys ready? Yeah. Right, okay, let's do it. Number one, fans are selfish, followers are selfless. How do I know this? Just look at John chapter 6, verses 10 through 14. Jesus says this, it says, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down, about 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all, when they had, all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over for those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. And I forgot to say this. This is the story about Jesus feeding the 5,000, obviously. And so we see Jesus do this miraculous sign, one of the greatest miracles that we see in the New Testament. Jesus takes this food and he multiplies it to feed this large crowd of 5,000 men. And that's just counting for the men. There were women and children there as well. And so there, there are tons of, of fish and, and bread that is multiplied to feed this multitude that is sitting on this hillside. And Jesus does it simply by breaking bread and thanking God for it. And so it seems as though these people are authentically amazed at the work that Jesus did. And I mean, who wouldn't want to follow Jesus after this? Who, who in their right mind would doubt that this is the son of the living God? And so these people, they have us fooled though. And, and we see this later on in, in the chapter. After this miracle, you know, Jesus leaves the crowd until the next day. And then the next day he returns, and I want to pick up the story there in John chapter 6, verses 25 through 27, where John writes, When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So Jesus right here, he just goes straight at him. He says, y'all came to this side to, to find me, not because you guys think I'm the Son of God, not because you guys, you know, are, realize that I am the one who the Father has sent to save you guys through this miracle, but instead what, what Jesus says is, you guys just came here to get another meal. That's all you guys did. And I think so often what we as Christians do is, is we just go to Jesus for our fix. We go to Jesus for our meal. We, we become selfish Christians in the sense that we have a very transactional relationship with Jesus. 
What I mean by that is, is that we go to Jesus and we are just wanting things. We're just wanting things. And we think that because we do good things that we can ask for these things. And don't get me wrong, asking for things is completely okay. But it can never be the only thing that we do in prayer. It can never be the only thing we do in prayer. And so many of the times what we find ourselves doing if we really evaluate our prayer life is that I think we'll find ourselves praying selfish prayers. Right. You know, we can ask for specific things, but what I tend to do is I tend to take the approach of, Father, let your will be done in my life. Whatever that looks like, let it happen. Because I can have my own desires, and yes, they can be led by the Spirit, but a lot of times the flesh can come up and, and invade that part of your life where you have desires for stuff that God doesn't want for you. And he can easily say no. Yeah, he can. But I would rather leave it open-ended to just receive what God has for me. Jabez, in the book of Chronicles, prays a very vague prayer. He says, uh, Lord, bless me and, and keep me you know, out of trouble. Don't let me hurt anybody and extend my land. He doesn't name the land. He doesn't say exactly what he wants, but what he does say is he just prays for the Father to have his way in his life, and he doesn't name it specifically. And I think that we need to do the same thing as Christians. The Lord has way better plans for us than we could ever think or dream or imagine. And I know that I say that every single time that I get up here, but it's so true because it's my experience that I've experienced in Christ. It, it, let me just say this, and this is not on my notes. If you are a Christian and you are not enjoying Christianity, you're doing it wrong. Um, because God is not stingy with, with blessing. He, he's not somebody who withholds blessings from us. In fact, every good and perfect gift comes from above. And so when I say that, what I want you to understand is that you can be selfless and still be blessed by the Lord. You can be selfless and, and not pray selfish prayers, and God will bless you even more because you are selfless, because he knows that, that you are somebody who's not going to go into selfishness whenever you receive those things that you're asking for. So followers are selfless, fans are selfish. If you want to be a follower of Jesus and not a fan... You've got to be selfless. Point number two, fans hold on, followers let go. And in order to help me illustrate this point, I want to take us to uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22, where this is a story of the rich young ruler. And a lot of you guys know who this guy is. Um, Jesus is walking along the road, and all of a sudden, this young man who's really wealthy, really powerful, he's a leader uh, in the synagogue, comes to Jesus, and he asks him this question, and we'll pick up the story in Mark 10, verse 17. Mark writes this, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replies, but why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. And me, I'm like, really? I'm like, come on now. I, that's, that's hard to believe. But he was a leader in the Jewish synagogue. Jesus replies with this. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, I want to clarify something here before I get into the point. In this story, you can kind of take it the wrong way and think that Jesus is against possessions. When Jesus isn't against possessions at all. Jesus saw the man's heart. 
And he saw that possessions were what was sitting on the throne of that man's heart. It wasn't the possessions themselves that Jesus had an issue with. It was the fact that this man, this young rich ruler, was going to value his possessions over his life with Jesus. So Jesus simply tells him, he says, if you want to follow me, go sell your stuff to the poor and then come back and, and follow me. And it, the man's face fell sad because he valued possessions way more than he did following Jesus. And so this man goes down in history as a fan because he was not willing to go far enough to become a follower. He was not willing to deny himself and take up his cross. Instead, he put his trust in his possessions and he decides that he, he doesn't want to follow Jesus because it would just be too hard to give that stuff up, to let that stuff go. Followers are meant to be people who let go of things that the Lord tells us to let go of. Amen. A few years ago, I was just at a conference, I was at Gateway Conference, and I was driving home on the last night, had this amazing spiritual experience. Uh, it was awesome, and I just felt so transformed by the services there. And as I'm driving home, I'm listening to worship music, and I hear the Lord speak this to me. It's kind of silly, but he said, delete Madden, which is a game, it's a football game. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, what in the world? That's just the most random thing to hear uh, after a conference. And so he says, delete Madden. And the reason why was because I kid you not, and this is going to sound really crazy to you guys, I probably spent more than $1,000 on that game because there are things that you can do in that game where you can like make your team better online and you have better records, and I would enter in tournaments and stuff in the game. And, and so Jesus, the Lord saw something. He saw that that was hindering me from stewarding my finances well, and he, so he said, let that go. Let that go. You know what I did? I let it go. And guess what? I am perfectly fine without Madden. And I, what I say, believe it or not, I'm okay without a game. Can you believe that? Um, believe it or not, there are more serious things that the Lord is going to tell you to let go of in your life. Right. Some of those things are sin, and you've got to get it out of your life. Some of you, some of you guys is going to tell you to let go of alcohol. There is no place for alcohol in your lives. No place. One or two drinks, you may think that's okay, but it can, it can be a stumbling block, not just to yourself, but to others as well. Some of you guys need to let go of unforgiveness when it comes to a person. Some of you were hurt deeply in it, and I'm sorry that that happened to you, but unforgiveness, you're just poisoning yourselves. And if you are going to accept the forgiveness that Jesus gave you, how can you not give someone else forgiveness? Because Jesus gave it to you freely, how can you not forgive someone else? And so... We have these things that we need to let go of if we want to be a follower of Jesus. And here's, here's the point behind this, is that it, when we don't let go of things, just like that young rich ruler did with his possessions, when we don't let go of those things, it keeps us from following Jesus better. And if we're Christians, our main goal, our main desire in this life should be to follow Jesus as best as we possibly can. So I'm going to go to the final point now, which is uh, my favorite point, actually. Uh, and it's point number three, which is fans are casual, followers are committed. And so I want to give you guys a little bit of a background to what the story I'm about to reference in the Bible. In the book of Acts, we see the early church start. They realize that there are uh, widows that need to be taken care of. And so they go to uh, these men and they say, we need you guys to take care of, of, the, of these widows. And so... One of them's name is Stephen. And so Stephen is arrested wrongfully uh, for preaching the gospel and doing the good works of Jesus. And uh, he pretty much goes to trial and 
and Stephen stands up for himself, and he kind of just absolutely slaughters the Pharisees. He gives them a history lesson on, on who Jesus is and, how, and the events in the Old Testament leading up to Jesus and saying, this man that the prophet spoke about, you guys killed him, and it's your fault. And so we're going to pick up the story in Acts chapter 7, verse 54 to 60. And it says this, When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. I love that imagery. I love that imagery. Verse 56. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, who would later become Paul. Verse 59, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Wow. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Or in other words, he passed away. He went home. I want to ask you guys this question. Stephen was so committed that he was willing to die to follow Jesus to its fullness. And I want you to ask yourself really quick, how are you committed enough to die for Jesus? That's a crazy thought, I know. That's a crazy thought. But Stephen wasn't the only one who was willing to go to the point of death to follow him. The only apostle, 11 of the 12 apostles, were martyred. The only one that didn't die was John, and they, they tried to kill him. In fact, they boiled him to death, and, or they tried to boil him to death, and he just sat in there like it was a hot tub. He didn't die. So what did they do? They, they exiled him to the island of Patmos where he later wrote Revelation. And, and so what, what, what I see is this. We need to be, as Christians, committed to Jesus to the point of death. That's crazy. I, I know. I know that's crazy. But isn't that what Jesus deserves? He was, he was willing to die for us. Why shouldn't we be willing to die for him? In fact, the, the apostles, Peter and John, in, in the book of Acts, and I'll probably butcher this first, but I'm going to reference it anyway because I, I don't really have it memorized very well. They, they get persecuted in the first few chapters of Acts, and they counted it as all joy. And, and they said they rejoiced because they were counted worthy of being persecuted. And, and that's crazy to me. I, I, we need, as the church need to follow Jesus to the point uh, of dying. And so how do we become more committed in a sense, I, I've got a simple answer for you. You guys have never probably heard this before, but the way you become more committed is simply by doing this. Opening your Bible and reading it. Crazy, right? Y'all have probably never heard that at this church before. Y'all have heard it a thousand times. Pastor Mark has said it over and over and over again. So when it says, give the first 10%, what do you do? You give the first 10% because you are committed to Jesus and doing his work. When it comes to going out and preaching to the nations, what do you do? You just do it. You go out and you preach to the people around you, evangelize to those who are nearest to you, not out of obligation, not out of some, some religious duty, but because you love the Lord and you're committed to him and you're trying to be the best possible follower that you can ever be. When it says, y'all ready for this one? When it says pray in tongues all, you know, regularly, when Paul says that, do it. You will not believe how much it has changed my life that in my regular prayer time, I speak in the Spirit. It will edify yourself. It will change your life. And there are a thousand other things I could say that it says to do in this, in this Bible and God's Word to us and say, just do it. 
But the way that you, you can know about it and the way that you figure out what to do is by opening this thing and, and, and reading it, reading the Word of God. And not just reading it, but studying it and, and going deep into it and praying the Word of God, which Pastor talked about on Sunday. Pray the Word of God, you guys. It is powerful and it is effective. So, we are not called to be casual Christians. And we're not called to be fans. Fans of Jesus are just distant admirers. And when things get good, they follow Jesus better. They, you know, they're, they're better fans, per se. But when things get bad, they walk away. They're not as close to the Lord as they were before. And so, what I want to ask you guys to think about tonight is how much of a fan am I in certain areas of my life? Because I think, truth be told, even if we're followers, we have some areas of fanship in our lives where we're not willing to commit every single bit of our being to the Lord, or where we're not willing to, to let go of some things, where we're not willing to be selfless in some areas. And so I wanna ask you guys that question tonight. Where in your life are you fans and where in your life are you followers? Because the truth is, is fans get nowhere. And I think part of the problem and why we see so many fans in the world today is because that's what church preaches a lot of times. We have a lot of seeker-friendly seeker churches around here, and I'm so thankful by the grace of God that this church is not that, um, but that we've made it okay to be fans rather than followers. We're called to be disciples and to follow him closely. So the way I want to end tonight is we're actually going to have an altar time tonight, and that's why I'm finishing so early is because I want to open up the altar for two reasons. Um, the, number, num the first reason is for those of you who feel like you guys have become more fans in certain areas. Uh, I don't think that we have many just straight up fans in here, but I do think that, I mean, even when I'm looking at, in at myself, I know that I'm fan a fan in certain areas. And so I want, if anything, I want to go to someone and pray about that so that I can become a better follower in that area. So I want you to evaluate that and think about that. Am I a fan in some area? And then if you are, go and get prayer from somebody about it. I, prayer is powerful and effective, especially when you're getting it from when you're joining your brother and sister and you're praying. So if you if you're one of those, go and get prayer for that. But the second reason is this: we have needs in life, and and I'd be remiss to not open this altar and let the God of the universe do a work in your life. In fact, more can happen at this altar, and more can change in your life at this altar than any word or message that I can speak because God's down here at this altar. So the way we're gonna do that is I'm gonna pray, and then after I pray, our prayer partners are gonna come down, we're gonna sing a song, and listen, please come down for prayer. God wants to meet with us down here, and prayer works. If you truly believe that prayer works, you would take every single opportunity that you could to meet with your brothers and sisters, and commune with them with the Father up here.